What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week, we got new music from Senses Fail, Nothing Nowhere, a radio rundown, and part one of our deep dive on the rise of architects. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 The X in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out and you're not in the area, you can download the station's app. Just search 94.3 The X in the App Store and tune in this Saturday. If you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. So Senses Fail have released a new song called Lush Rimbaugh. As you can tell just by the title, it's about conservative radio talk show personality Rush Limbaugh, who died on February 17th after battling stage four lung cancer. The band dropped the song the day after he passed. Although their new album, What the Thunder Said, Hell is in Your Head, is expected to be released later this year, this wasn't connected to it in any way thus far. It'll probably still be on the album, but there was no announcement made of it, no release details, no pre-order information, not even the title is in the YouTube description or any press write-ups, which leads me into believing that they did actually write this song about Limbaugh and just dropped it in response to his death. Because if you read the lyrics but he never talks about him actually being dead just that he was in the process of dying after being diagnosed with cancer and buddy just doesn't feel sorry for him and he really goes in on rush for those who don't know or aren't familiar rush built his following from a very conservative point of view over the course of decades of radio and television broadcasting and the second verse of the song buddy says when i was young i used to hate myself because bigots like you were given pedestals you proselytize in the name of religion but it's all for show you're going to be locked out of heaven there is no repenting there is no coming back you're going to hell with a mark on your back or you'll fry like a saint but unlike joan of arc you not worth the piss to put out the spark Sonically, it's a very throwback mid-2000s census fail song, or at least as far back as they can throw it 15 years later. And that, paired with the vitriol of the lyrics, combines to make a pretty solid old-school census fail song. They did get some backlash, some from conservatives, some from people saying death shouldn't be celebrated, which Buddy said in the band's Facebook status that he wasn't celebrating his death, but I guess the point remains. Buddy responded to the backlash in a few tweets saying, I used to write songs about killing women and people are offended I wrote a song about not caring Rush Limbaugh died. Free speech crowd gets so turnt when you use it for something they don't like. It's almost like they are the very thing they hate and just protecting their own soiled, incel, broken self-worth onto the world. And also, why is it always a white guy with sunglasses? It's interesting that this song and situation fell on our first Architects Deep Dive episode, where we're about to unpack a whole hell of a lot of theological discussion. I mean, there's lots of God talk coming up, mainly next week, but maybe we'll get into a little bit this week too. But first, in other new music news, News. As we talked about on the deep dive last week, Nothing Nowhere has released his new album, Trauma Factory. It is a wild ride of genre-bending SoundCloud-era tracks, going from emo 808s on Absolute Banger, Love, or Chemistry, to Pop Punk on Fake Friend, to basically SoundCloud Hardcore on Death. This album covers more ground than 90% of all seen albums ever, but the most impressive part is that it still feels cohesive. Joe manages to crisscross genre lines and still make it feel like a Nothing Nowhere song, regardless of the aggression or lack thereof. 
And that's a sign of a true songwriter. We're going to talk about Fake Friends continuing its climb up the alternative radio chart in a minute, and I'll just say that the future looks incredibly bright for this kid. He just broke 1.7 million monthly listeners on Spotify, and that's by far the most he's ever had on there. There is a bit of a lack of momentum on YouTube, which is a little concerning, but I do believe as long as you get the songs to take off somewhere, the other places will follow suit. We see that a lot in other genres. All in all, Nothing Nowhere is in a really solid spot heading into the rest of 2021. We'll see at the end of the year if he can make up enough ground on the top 10 biggest acts in the scene to make the list. But alright, on to this week's radio rundown. Our all-time low tracker update has them at number 19 on top 40 radio, still up 12.4% in plays. Number 5 on alternative radio still and actually 2% up in plays over there. Overall, we're at number 59 on the Hot 100, up 3 spots from our peak last week, which puts us at a new peak. Doesn't seem like a huge week overall, but these kinds of consistent moments back to back to back are what add up to make a song a hit. All Time Low being inside the top 60 on the Hot 100 in 2021 is a wild moment that literally nobody saw coming. But at this point, it's safe to say it's only going to keep going up from here. MGK and Black Bear break even on top 40 at number 12, but up 5.7% in plays, and number 2 on alternative radio up over 4% in plays. The song is actually down this week on the Hot 100 from 25 to 29, but again, as long as these radio spins keep going up, the Hot 100 fluctuation will stabilize. This is certainly more of a streaming hit than Monsters, but it has fallen a bit out of priority on the top playlist, so we're really relying on radio to pick up the slack here. Still looking good overall though. Nothing Nowhere is up to 18 on alternative radio, increasing over 32% in spins, making some impressive ground for his first ever song on the chart. Mod Sun and Avril Lavigne continue their rise up alt radio as well, jumping to number 23 this week and up nearly 20% in plays. Over at Rock Radio, Ask Alexandria is still sitting at number 8, increasing only 3 plays from last week, but it's still good to see them keeping pace with their previous total and not dropping again. I'm not really sure about this song. It might be time to sell and get out. I don't like what we've been seeing over the last few weeks, but we'll see. There's still a chance it can build back up some more momentum. Bring Me the Horizon's Teardrops jumps from number 11 up nearly 4% in plays. So again, looking at another top 10 song for them and their highest on the chart since Mantra in 2018. Architects Animals moves to number 13 up over 6% in plays. So what we're looking at here is Asking Alexandria at number 8, Bring Me the Horizon at number 11, and Architects at number 13. As long as Asking doesn't fall apart, I think it's safe to say all three will be inside the top 10 at the same time. We also have a few names bubbling at the bottom of the rock radio chart right now, like Black Veil Brides, Data Remember, with Everything We Need, Escape the Fates, Invincible. They're still not making any super notable gains, but if they break the top 25, we're going to start tracking them. All right, on to this week's deep dive. So... This Friday, Architects will release their ninth album for those that wish to exist. It will be the biggest moment of their career thus far, but they've walked a road straight out of hell to get here. Their story is rooted in many things, dedication, loss, grief, perseverance, triumph. 
from continual themes of theological questioning to challenging the status quo of the world, Architects has never taken the easy way out. This band turns 17 years old in 2021. I mean, they've gone the full 12 rounds on more than one occasion and have the scars to prove it. So I'm splitting their dive into two parts, the first four albums and then the second four, as well as their new album, which we'll get to next week. Because if you split their career down the middle, they interestingly enough mirror each other in a lot of ways. So let's go all the way back to 2004 when twin brothers Dan and Tom Searle formed a band with guitarist Tim Hillierbrook, bassist Tim Lucas, and vocalist Matt Johnson. Dan was on drums while Tom played the guitar. In 2005, they recorded a demo that is actually making headlines in 2021. It was a two-track CD with early versions of the songs A Portrait for the Deceased and You Don't Walk Away from Dismemberment, which were later featured on their first album, Nightmares, but these were just classic, spazzy, diet, Dillinger, escape plan, MySpace-era metalcore bangers. A lot of people don't even realize it nowadays, but this was Architect's sound for a good minute at the beginning, even after Sam joined. But this demo, along with their first full length, are the only Architect's recordings to not feature Sam Carter on vocals. Take a listen to a clip from You Don't Walk Away from Dismemberment. So a CD copy of these two demos from way back in 2005 was auctioned off on eBay recently with the band's cosign, and the proceeds were donated to a charity called Martlets, which provides care for terminally ill people in and around the Brighton area. They raised 470 pounds for this thing, which is about $661. Most scene bands want to wipe away the first halves of their careers, let alone the earliest thing they ever recorded. So it's really cool to see Sam support this, especially given the fact that he didn't have anything to do with it. But after this, Architects released their debut album Nightmares in May of 2006 through In at the Deep End, which is an indie hardcore label based out of England, and Distort, which is an indie hardcore label based out of Canada. The LP was produced by Carl Bearham, who also produced their demo. I didn't know anything about Carl, so I did some research and was saddened to learn that he died in a tragic scuba diving accident in 2019. Apparently, he was very close with Dallas Green of City and Color and Alexis on Fire and had been very involved in Dallas's career. He also has credits on Johnny Truant's 2005 album in the Library of Horrific Events, but he was around at Ground Zero for Architects, so it was really unfortunate to learn of his passing. Nightmares was a much cleaner portrayal of Architect's early sound, and honestly, while the two demos were pretty much purely panic-centered melodic metalcore, there is a little bit more flair on this album that bounces back and forth between Dillinger and even early Every Time I Die. There are a few brief moments where they almost go southern metalcore. Check out this moment from In the Desert. <laughs> Go! 
It's just so cool to listen to a song like In the Desert and then go listen to Animals. I mean, 15 years separation points and they're still just kicking out bangers. They just sound a little different now. The band's touring information around this time is incredibly sparse. MySpace was really the only social media outlet they had, and being an independent heavy band from the UK, they weren't getting much notable press, or at least none that has been preserved well on the internet. What I have been able to dig up is that they hit the road with a lot of other small heavy UK bands, including a very young Bring Me the Horizon, Johnny Truant, Beecher, and others. I was able to dig up an old archived interview Tom did with Metal Hammer in 2009 where he talked about what Architects was like during this time. He said, When we wrote the first album, Nightmares, we were all about 16. We started touring properly when I just turned 18. I'm 21 now, so we've done about 17 tours through the US, Canada, and Europe. If I quit this when I'm 26, I'd still be able to sort my life out. We're all still kids. I went to college, but we'd book a two-week tour and do that instead. It's funny because I'd tell my tutors, I'm going to be away for two weeks, and they'd say, oh, that's fine, are you going on holiday? And I'd say, no, I'm going on tour with my band, and they'd be all dejected like, oh, oh what? So it would be better for me to sit on a beach doing nothing than actually doing something worthwhile? So they were really just kids when they put out Nightmares. It was in 2006 when their original bassist Tim Lucas left and was replaced by Alex Dean, who is still in the band to this day. Also, just months after Nightmares came out, the original vocalist Matt Johnson left the band. He went on to form a post-punk band called White Mare that put out a full length and an EP from 2011 to 2013. It's certainly interesting to think where Architects would be today if Matt hadn't left and Sam never joined. I definitely don't think they'd be anywhere close to where they are today, if around at all. So after Matt left, the band approached Sam Carter. Carter had been performing in other bands as both a frontman and drummer. There's actually a moment in their documentary 100 Days, which we'll talk about next week, where Sam is on stage playing drums during one of the band's lower turnout shows. So what I found out digging up old show footage from 2006 and 2007 was that the band was actually performing songs from what would become their second album, Ruin, with Matt before he left. So that proves they were already writing music for the second album before Sam even joined. The crossover of when key members of bands leave and their replacements come in is always interesting because a lot of the times you can hear both sides performing the same songs. Like there are multiple overlapping moments between Anthony Green and Cove Reber and Sayosin's timeline. I mean, the overlap between Dallas Taylor and Spencer Chamberlain for Under Oath is literally an entire podcast episode. So there is pre- pretty decent footage of Matt screaming over songs on what would end up on Ruin, which was released about a year and a half after Nightmares in October of 2007. Again, there weren't many people around for this time of the band, but I am surprised that those who were were so up in arms over Matt versus Sam. I found quite a few comment threads debating the two, which is funny because on a casual listen, there isn't a very noticeable difference between the screams on Nightmares and Ruins. But a little closer listen will reveal the subtle metalcore flair behind Matt's screams and then the hardcore rasp behind Sam's. Baruan was an aggressive, violent, near-tech metalcore album that fit well within that specific MySpace niche at the time. 
But the biggest problem with this record, along with a good portion of the first half of Architect's career, was the distribution and promotion of the music. If you hadn't found the band on your own through a live setting or word of mouth online, you probably didn't know about them. There was also no significant label push because Ruin was also released on the same two small English and Canadian indies who put out Nightmares, and they just didn't have much direction or means in developing bands. But so Ruin is out, I wasn't able to stitch together their touring timeline around this time because it wasn't consistently documented anywhere. But they were touring as much as they could across England. It actually wasn't until 2008 that they came over to the US for their first North American tour. But before that, in early 2008, they released a split EP with the England hardcore band Dead Swans. Architects loved this band. I just remember that name consistently being attached to theirs for a time period in the late 2000s. The split featured two songs from both of the bands, and one of them, Broken Clocks, was featured on their next album, Hollow Crown, in 2009. But the split marked a slight progression in sound, more so refining their brand of metalcore from Ruin. Sam definitely feels like he found more of a groove on those tracks. So later in July of 2008, it was announced that Architects had finally signed a worldwide deal with Century Media. So Century Media is a fairly iconic metal record label founded in 1988. They bolstered the careers of everyone from Napalm Death to Lacuna Coil to Suicide Silence. I was actually able to dig up the original press release from the signing announcement in 2008. In it, Dan gave the following quote. Everyone at Century Media seems to be 100% behind what we're doing. They match our ambition to push this band as far as we can. This is a whole new era for us, and we're really excited about seeing where it's going to take us next. So after this, Ruin was re-released with a global distro deal and with Broken Clocks as a bonus track. In October, they played what was their first U.S. shows on a North American tour in support of Suicide Silence on their cleansing headliner, along with Emir, Beneath the Massacre, and After the Burial. In November of 2008, they went out on the Never Say Die tour in Europe, supporting Parkway Drive alongside Unearth, Despised Icon, Protest the Hero, Whitechapel, and Carnifex. So the previous summer in July... The band recorded what would be their third full-length album, Hollow Crown, with producers John Mitchell and Ben Humphreys. Mitchell is a UK-based producer who has worked with everyone from Enter Shikari to Your Demise, while Humphreys' resume overlaps a bit but expands with bands like Neck Deep and Lower Than Atlantis. Hollow Crown marked another progression footnote in sound for Architects. The production quality itself is more crisp than anything they had released at this point, which only furthered their venture into the evolving modern metalcore world. Gone were the mathcore elements of their previous releases, and in were more melodic riffs, more clean vocals, and Sam's screams, which to me sound eerily similar to how Ollie Sykes sounded on Suicide Season, which also came out in 2008, and Sam was even on, on the song Sadness Will Never End. The two bands were very, very close during their come-ups, but their trajectories have been very different. BMTH were always a hype band, and Architects have literally never been a hype band. But if you listen to Sam on Hollow Crown and Ollie on Suicide Season back-to-back, it is ridiculously similar. As far as themes on the record, Sam explained during the cycle that they always felt like they were working as hard, if not harder, than any other band in the scene, but never got the recognition or hype from it. 
I've always wondered how they saw Bring Me's quick success compared to their own lack thereof. Both bands started being consistently active around the same times, but Bring Me blew up by the time the late 2000s rolled around compared to where Architects were. I don't think they were bitter in regards to Bring Me specifically. There was actually this classic video filmed on a cell phone camera of the bands fighting, but they just staged it to look real and it was a complete joke. But I think they were bitter in general. They weren't getting back what they were putting in, but it didn't stop them. Hollow Crown was released worldwide over the course of a few weeks from the end of January 2009 through February. They supported the lead up to the album's release with a UK headliner with support from Misery Signals and a textbook's tragedy. After that, they went on an Australian tour supporting Parkway Drive alongside August Burns Red, and then fast forward to September 2009 and they're out on a North American tour alongside O Sleeper supporting Every Time I Die and Bring Me the Horizon. Then right after that, they headline the UK leg of the Never Say Die tour with Despised Icon, Horse the Band, As Blood Runs Black, I wrestled a bear once, Oceano, and the ghost inside. And over the next year or so, the band spent a lot of the Hollow Crown cycle touring in most major markets outside of the US. They did a European run with Under Oath in March and April of 2010. In August, they went on a Canadian run with Structures and the Holly Springs disaster. They had spent that June recording what would be their fourth full-length album with producer Steve Evitz. As you might recall, we recently talked about Evitz during the Wonder Years Deep Dive episode near the end of last year. He produced Suburbia, I've Given You All and Now I'm Nothing, and really gave us the first fully realized sound the Wonder Years ever had. He honestly did a little bit of the same with Architects here. So on August 30th, the band dropped a new song called Day In, Day Out. This is where things get interesting in Architects' timeline during the first half, in a moment that a lot of people don't remember historically. I love this song and this album, The Here and Now, but many people at the time did not, including eventually the band. We'll talk about that in a second. Before this song and album, Architects was just an evolving metalcore band. Sure, they had gotten a new vocalist and their sound had shifted a bit overall, but Day In Day Out was nearly a post-hardcore song, and a lot of people jumped shit because of it. So it was hilarious to me to watch people get mad at them last year when they dropped Animals because we literally did this exact same song and dance with Architects eight years ago. But Day In Day Out is a straight banger through and through, ranging from some punky near rise against moments to this huge emo vocal hook from Sam, who bounces back and forth between cleans and a pretty vicious scream that had more of a flair than ever before, and honestly almost reminiscent of the band's original vocalist Matt Johnson. But Evitz helped Architects push into new ground here for the first time, and I wholeheartedly believe they've taken at the very least some of what they learned during this recording process and used it during the second half of their career. But who knows, because the band hates this album, or at least they did after it came out, and it's wild because they seemed confident in interviews and press leading up to it. I mean, they praised Evitz for pushing their sound to new areas, but apparently Tom went even as far as to ask their manager to not be included in interviews about the album. The band hated the video for Heartburn, which to me is a fantastic emo ballad, but they said it made them look like a boy band. And Sam eventually called the album a car crash. 
which makes a song like Animals make sense. The here and now is covered in emo trope melodies and light scene electronics, while Animals and other moments on For Those That Wish To Exist is very much more rock radio leaning with massive guitar riffs and less of a flair around Sam's clean melodies. It's just so interesting to look back on how Architect's career can literally be split right down the middle. The first eight years and the second eight, and now they're going through a similar, less heavy sound switch again in 2021. And much like the here and now, there are certainly still very heavy moments on For Those That Wish To Exist. It's just obvious where Architects is aiming with these new songs. The difference between then and now is now it's working. But the Here and Now officially dropped on January 19th, 2011 through Century Media. It only sold about 900 units in the U.S. first week, but made it to number 57 on UK's Top 200 equivalent chart. But the cycle for this album was quick, because like I said, the band basically wanted to bury it. And that's the first half of Architect's career. But the way they felt about Here and Now set them up to double down on being a metalcore band, and a damn good one at that. Next up, we have Daybreaker, which we'll start with next week, and that album is what set them on the track to be the band they are today. The perseverance of Architects is truly an incredible story, and I cannot wait to unpack it. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. Like I said, next week we have part two of our Architects Deep Dive. If you have any requests for deep dives, email me at notetoseen at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon.